0: Okay. Now you carry me up the Hello, everyone. All right, let's get started. Thanks for coming. My name is Audrey. I'm an alcoholic and a member of Al Anon. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Um, let's start the workshop with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Everybody, um, welcome everyone, including members of Al-Anon and other 12-step programs. 12-step history belongs to you too. I am so excited to be here today. I'm like an AA history heaven right here in the archives room. I heard Jackie's amazing uh, talk this morning. Marty Mann is coming up. There's an Al-Anon history presentation. So I'm just like, this is fabulous. Um, Thank you to the planning committee for inviting me to speak today. Um, I'm very excited to share the story of a transgender woman of color who came to AA in 1945. So, I am a white, gender-conforming bisexual in a lesbian relationship with my wife of 22 years. I'm also a writer and a historian. I love our history. And a few years ago, I set out to learn more about it. And I just... Oh, here's my clicker. Okay. I read many books about alcoholism that never mentioned gay people. And I read some great books about gay people and our history, but they never mentioned alcoholism, despite long chapters about gay bars. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, So this is my book. It's full of amazing history and experience, strength, and hope from our LGBT ancestors. The story of the black man with the long blonde hair comes to us from Barry L., the gay man who met and welcomed this unexpected newcomer to Alcoholics Anonymous that day. Um, this is a lovely slide. That's Barry, um, standing behind Lois Wilson. Uh, this is a um, AA Founders Day presentation in 1978. Uh, for those of you who may not know Lois, and Anne B. co founded Al Anon in 1941. Um, and this presentation is from Barry's talk, The Gay Origins of the Third Tradition, which he presented at the 10th International Convention in Montreal. Um, let's see. So, as, as Jackie mentioned this morning, Barry wrote Living Sober which was published by AA in 1975, uh, was a key contributor to one of my favorite pieces of AA literature, the pamphlet, Do You Think You're Different?, which kept me from running, screaming from the room at my first meeting when I was uh, getting sober. Um, He served on the general service office staff and was a recorder at many general service conferences. Um, He was also an AA historian, not just because he studied history, but because he was there for it. And, and actually, that is true of all of us here today, too. We are part of our history. So can you read that? Is that big enough, sort of? Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, what size font? You will hear from several other people today as well. The newcomer who met Barry, a doctor named Samuel Liebman, a respectable widow, and a high school principal from Hartford, Connecticut and AA co-founder, Bill Wilson. This is a picture of Dr. Liebman. Um, uh, He was a physician at the Norwich State Hospital in Connecticut in the 40s. He wrote an article about one of his patients that appeared in a medical journal in 1944, uh, the journal called the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. I saw a short excerpt of it in a book and was immediately struck by the similarities between Liebman's description of his patient and Barry's description of the newcomer. Was it possible they were the same person? I tracked down the full article at the UCSF Medical Library and studied it carefully. The report was very detailed. Liebman and hospital staff members had interviewed the patient's extended family, neighbors, teachers, and employers. Um, I noticed that many key details between the two accounts lined up, descriptions, timing, and geography. The article included a letter written by the patient, signed, with love until I see you, Josephine M. Josephine, that patient's name was Josephine. Studying the article, I felt proud of my sleuthing and amazed by my luck. I also felt repulsed because racism and homophobia permeated every page, as you will hear. I was horrified to learn how this young person had been treated. But I knew going in that the odds were stacked against her. So some aspects of this story are troubling. It takes a lot of courage to be who we are. It really does. And there will be um, a time for questions and feedback at the end. But if you find you have a strong response to some of this material or questions about what happened, please talk with me or someone else after the workshop. We're not alone. So in 1976, historian Jonathan Katz cataloged the medical procedures used to cure homosexuality in the U.S. between 1900 and 1970. Um, He quotes the doctors in his book who developed and administered these procedures. And this is where I first saw the excerpt of Liebman's article. Um, I'll give a brief quote. Notice that Katz uses the present tense, um, when he's listing these treatments, because some of these procedures were still in use when this book was published. Um, He writes, The treatment of lesbians and gay men by psychiatrists and psychologists constitute one of the more lethal forms of homosexual oppression. Among treatments are surgical measures, castration, hysterectomy, and vasectomy. Lobotomy was performed as late as 1951. A variety of drug therapies have been employed, including hormones, stimulants, depressants, and LSD. Other cures included shock treatment, aversion therapy, electroshock, nausea-inducing drugs, hypnosis, and psychoanalysis. Starting in the 1920s, boy, that text is really small, um, laws were passed in the U.S., that legalized forced sterilization of many marginalized people, including, quote, sexual deviates, alcoholics, and, interestingly, their families as well. Um, So I don't know if you can see this, but this is the prevention of procreation. This is one of the laws passed. They were passed in many states. This is from a report by uh, Harry Laughlin, who I hope is in the seventh circle of hell right now. Um, who was the uh, founder, um, what's the word, pushing a lot of these laws. Um, This is from the Eugenics Record Office. Um, At least 60,000 people were sterilized under these laws between 1920 and 1960, 20,000 in California alone. People of color, oh, I have to go back. Did you see this part about... Moral degenerates and sexual perverts were specifically named. What? Our people? Yeah! Yeah! It's our people! Yeah! People of color were targeted, and women, Latin Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, and Native Americans. So I don't know if you can see this, but these laws were incredibly broad um, and included the feeble-minded, Let's see, my list is here. The inebriate, the epileptic, people who are blind, deaf, crippled, the dependent, including the delinquent and wayward, orphans, 'er ne'er-do-wells, the homeless, tramps, and paupers. It's difficult to report these things, but knowing this will make the story that I'm about to tell all the more remarkable and important. So the photos accompanying Barry's account today show the streets and neighborhoods around the AA Clubhouse, this is the second clubhouse in New York, on 41st Street as they appeared in the 1940s and 30s, where his story takes place. They're from the New York, New York Public Library's digital collection, which I was just had a blast with. And in this amazing website, um, Old New York, you can set a time period. And an area of the city, and wherever you see a red dot, that's the clubhouse right there, um, you can zoom in and see at least one photograph of the streets and neighborhoods around that area for that period. It's a real time sink, I'll tell you. Um, It's wonderful. So photographs of people of color were from the 1940s, or gay people, or transgender people of color were much harder to find. And I don't know if I can demo this, if you can hear me, but... If this is all the pictures of people from the 1940s online, this is the number of pictures from the 1940s of people of color online, this is the number of pictures of people who were gay online in that period, and... This is the number of people of color who are transgender that you can find images of online. Just like this tiny little sliver. So, into this vacuum, to represent Josephine M. today, I've used photographs of some of the actresses, musicians, dancers, and designers I believed inspired her. Josephine Baker, Katherine Dunham, Lena Horne, Ertha Kitt, Zelda Win valdez Dorothy Dandridge, Ethel Waters, and Joyce Bryant. One final note, trans women of color continue to bear the brunt of homophobic, transphobic racial violence in the United States. The Human Rights Campaign reports that in 2018, 26 transgender people were killed in hate crimes in the U.S. The majority of them were black transgender women. And this year, in 2019, at least 15 transgender people have been fatally shot or killed by violent means in the U.S., and 14 of them were black transgender women. Okay, let's get started. New York City, 1945. Barry begins. I don't know how I stayed sober that first year. I don't think I tried to change. I memorized the steps in case someone asked me, you know, for a spot check. I memorized them but did nothing about them, but I did the things they told me to do that would keep me dry. I, did, I didn't take the first drink, which seemed very sensible, and I did my turn sitting at the desk of the old clubhouse. AA did not have a clubhouse or an office. We didn't have an office. We had an old clubhouse in Manhattan. It was a marvelous old building, an old abandoned church. It's no longer there, but as long as it stood there, I went back once a year to look at it. One day, I was doing my turn at the desk, answering phones and greeting the people who walked in when there came in, sent by a policeman on the corner, a black man. We had at that time no black AA members. We'd seen a few black people come into the meetings and had tried very hard to befriend them and talk to them. But they did not stay with us. I think they found that, as they put it so beautifully, it was too damned white. It wasn't for them, and they left. This man, who was black, walked in, and he said, the policeman on the corner told me that maybe you could help me. He was not only black, he had long blonde hair, like Veronica Lake. He was a real artist with makeup. He was beautifully made up and strapped to his back He had his entire worldly belongings. We leave the clubhouse now for a few minutes and turn to Dr. Liebman's slide, uh, article, sorry. Um, He begins, It has been our good fortune to study a young homosexual. This is the first line of his article. This is a picture of one of the buildings at Norwich State Hospital. This 23-year-old colored male was admitted to the hospital on November 15, 1941. His hair was oiled and covered with a hairnet, incorporated in which were two carnations and a number of beads as a corsage placed over his forehead. His eyebrows were tweezed and arched. He had mascara on his eyelids. His cheeks and lips were rouged, and there was powder on his face. His fingernails were manicured and lacquered. He wore bracelets on his wrists, rings on his fingers, beads, and a crucifix about his neck. I looked a long time for an image that might fit this description. Uh, This photo of Josephine Baker from her early years as a chorus girl in, in the United States was a good candidate. It shows her signature hairstyle. Her brows, eyes, and lips reflect the fashion of the day. And she's wearing bracelets, a necklace, and rings on her expressive fingers. He spoke rather freely. This is Liebman talking. He spoke rather freely of his homosexuality, of being a female impersonator, and stated, I'm a homosexual. Are there any others in this ward? This gives me goosebumps every time I read that. If, if it were me, I sure as hell would want to know if there were any other queers on the ward. I just I can't believe the courage that it must have taken to say that. Um, so this is Liebman, whenever you see patient. That's him talking. The patient was generally quite overactive, over-talkative, and restless. He constantly annoyed the personnel, requesting his hair curlers, rouge lipstick, and other items of feminine apparel Stating that he liked to wear them as they made him feel better. This is actress Joyce Bryant, and a lot of the photographs that I looked at were lovely but quite posed. And in this one, it looks like she's really just enjoying herself um, and feeling better. He took exercises to maintain the figure and was observed singing and dancing about the ward. Making Overt Homosexual Advances to Other Patients. Yes? Um, I like the bead on Josephine Baker's forehead in this photo. It reminds me of his corsage, Josephine M's. Um, I have a personal theory that Josephine M may have taken her name in honor of Josephine Baker, who was an amazing person. Um, uh, and I, I just want to point out, note how Liebman puts quotes around maintain the figure here. He d- he uses quotes in an evil way. <laughs> the patient himself was neat, clean, and meticulous in his personal appearance, appearance, but continually demanded attention, making noise to attract it if necessary, which I just love. I mean, look how much space Baker is taking up in this photograph, and as Josephine did on the ward. Um, uh, By the way, Josephine Baker was a member of the French resistance. She uh, took information when she performed for Powers in Europe. She was internationally known in Europe and smuggled the information out on music scores, which she wrote in invisible ink. She was just awesome. Liebman writes, he stated that he was not colored, that he was part Indian, Cuban, etc. Look at that, etc. as in blah, blah, blah. Anything you say except colored is just noise to me. Um, this is the dancer, choreographer, and anthropologist, Catherine Dunham. This is her 1937 ballet, Woman with a Cigar. He constantly requested the examiner and various other members of the ward personnel to order his gowns, furs, clothing, and other items of feminine apparel from various department stores. This is um, actor, actress, singer, and dancer Alina Horn, and I think a department store. And I, I look how the clerks are looking at her. It's very odd. Um, Josephine writes, This is a Liebman quoting her. I was supposed to be in Hartford as one of the ink spots tonight. I'm a woman impersonator. This is a photograph of female impersonators in a club in Bronzeville, which is the name of a Southside Chicago neighborhood. Um, Starting in the 1910s and 20s, it was known as the Black Metropolis, a hub of African-American life, culture, and business. The patient wrote voluminously. He kept ledgers of all the things he wanted for Christmas, including gowns, furs, slips, panties, and stockings. He spoke at great length about getting brassieres and rubber fillers so that he would look presentable in long, flowing evening gowns. Uh, this is actress Dorothy Dandridge. And this is a gown by the designer Zelda Wynne Valdez. I need another hand up here. Um, I have to stop for a second and just talk about this amazing woman. Um, Valdez directed the Harlem Youth Opportunities Fashion and Design Workshop, um, where thousands of New York children learn to sew. Um, that famous silhouette of this dress is her design, skin tight to the knees, and then with a big poof at the bottom. Um, She founded industry associations for designers of color at Design for the Dance Theater of Harlem. And though as a feminist, I I hesitate to tell you that she also was hired by Hugh Hefner to design the Playboy Bunny costume. Many letters were also written addressed to his friends, his prospective husband, there are those quotes again, his family, etc. Josephine writes, "My darling lover, just a few lines to let you know I'm still thinking of you every hour in the day and wish you were here with me." This is Ethel Waters, um, a famous vocalist from the area from the era she did jazz, swing and pop music. Did you see the Ink Spots and the Erskine Hawkins band? I sang, as you know, Friday night and wore flirt pink. I received lovely flowers. And uh, the music that you heard was composed and performed by Erskine Hawkins. Um, That was Tuxedo Junction was playing. A very famous jazz standard. We will spend Thanksgiving in New York, dear. Tell Julio and David to prepare for a good Thanksgiving. With love until I see you, your darling sweetheart, Josephine E.F.M. This is Liebman quoting some of um, Josephine's neighbors and teachers. He is said to have always been a nice boy, was obedient, cheerful, pleasant, and never seemed nervous. And I was just going over this the other day, and I went, nervous, as in nervous disorder disorder? Like, what was the thing about nervous? And I think it was a euphemism for for mental illness. Well, in grammar grades, the patient was a sissy, gestured with his hands, and had a pussyfoot walk. He was always neat, never a behavior problem, and was better than the average Negro scholar. Liebman makes the racism so easy to see, doesn't he? The patient graduated from high school in 1937. The principal remembers our patient, says Liebman, as taking offense in an effeminate way. This is dancer, singer, and comedian Eartha Kitt. Some of you may have heard her performance of Santa Baby, which is like my favorite. Um, He had a defensive, persecuted sort of attitude. Do you think? (laughs) You think? which bordered on perpetual sullenness. But he seemed to have an inflated opinion of himself. He attempted to attend activities that the other colored boys did not. Yeah, that was inflated, right? He always dressed well, but wore a very obnoxious perfume. (laughs) His present illness is said to have started about the middle of August, 1941. He was working for a respectable widow whose elderly father was paralyzed taking care of the father, the widow says. At first, he did not drink, kept himself unusually clean, and generally had a nice expression on his face. Nice expression. In August, the patient began going around with other colored people in the local community, which sounds healthy to me. And it was at this time that he started to drink. He would carry on about water for his bath, about having more time off, etc., His voice became high-pitched, and he seemed more sensitive. Liebman writes, On the 18th, he was arrested for getting into a brawl with a white man of poor character in a tavern. He was given 10 days in jail. He then began running around in buses between several of the cities about Hartford, making a general spectacle of himself. He went into beauty parlors for permanent waves and walked the floors and department stores as though he belonged there. Yeah. When he appeared in court for the evasion of bus fare, he wore curlers in his hair. In court, the patient stated that he had an engagement at 11 o'clock to buy a Packard and get a chauffeur, that he impersonated females on the stage and had an appointment to sing in Hollywood that night. On the 15th, the patient was admitted to the Norwich State Hospital. On December 19th, he was placed on electric shock therapy and received a total of eight treatments, resulting in eight convulsions. The following day, he remarked, I wonder why I acted like that. I know I'm a homosexual. Some of the best people in Hartford are. Yes. Yeah. yes. She lives. What on earth ever made me act like I did before I came here? No wonder they locked me up. I must have been crazy. Imagine me and foxes trying on furs and evening gowns. This is Eartha Kitt with Zelda Wyn Valdez who's fitting her her bridal her wedding gown. How am I ever going to face those people again? This is a picture of job applicants at Fox's department store, which is like the Nordstrom's of of its day. It was this big, fancy emporium. I think they're probably applying for for Christmas jobs. And these these are the elevator operators at Fox's. About a month after the cessation of electrotherapy, the patient became less interested in his surroundings, careless of his personal appearance, dull, seclusive, and showed definite depression. He expressed feelings of guilt over his behavior. Recovery from here on was uneventful. He showed no evidence of psychosis on discharge. Liebman includes this postscript in his article. Since the above was written, I've been informed that the patient was returned to the hospital on November 21st because of difficulties with the police. He was overactive, euphoric, overtly homosexual, and somewhat troublesome on the ward. On December 4th, he was started on electroshock, convulsive doses, and received 13 treatments. By the way, I just want to add that um, a different type of electroshock therapy is used today in far lower doses. It's used with informed consent. It's a safe and effective intervention for major depression that does not respond to other treatments. So it's still in use today and it is radically different from what he experienced, she experienced. He showed symptomatic improvement, says Liebman, was considered not psychotic, and on March 12th was discharged to the police. It's likely she was taken to this facility, the Cheshire Correctional Institution in Hartford County. Thank you, Dr. Liebman, for the detailed description of your patient and the appalling racist and homophobic beliefs of your era. Goodbye, and good riddance. We return now to New York two years later. and, And to Barry. He continues, This man who was black walked in, and he said, The policeman on the corner told me that maybe you could help me. I just came out of prison. Can you imagine a black person wearing long, blonde wig and makeup on the streets of New York in 1945, I kept trying to put myself into each frame and imagine what that must have been like for her. I'm a dope fiend, as Barry says, a phrase then in use, and I'm also an alcoholic, and I need help desperately. Whoops. <laughs> Darn it. Could this be Josephine M.? Could a person released from prison in Connecticut with few resources get to Manhattan in 1945? Was it possible? Yes, oh yes. (laughs) So I was like, could it really be the same person? There were train schedules and bus schedules. Um, It was very easy to get from Connecticut to New York in 1945. Barry says, well, I was the last person in the world to know what to do. I ran around trying to get someone in the office to come help me. Many found they had to play poker that afternoon. One marvelous old woman, though, came named Fanny, who came and sat there and talked to him for a long time. So I said, I'm going to call the person that I know has been sober the longest, and I called Bill. Bill Wilson. Bill, here's the problem. This man is here. I told him exactly what the man looked like and what he told us. I got someone to take the poor guy out and get him a cup of coffee to start with. What should we do? He needs all kinds of help. And Bill was quiet a minute. Then he said, Well now, did you say he is a drunk? Oh yes, right off the bat, we could tell that. And Bill said, I think that is the only question we have any right to ask. It is up to us now to help him. Yeah. I think this is probably maybe the most important thing that I say today. This is amazing, given the environment and the time. Um, This is our third tradition in action. Um, Each time you welcome a newcomer, you carry on this legacy especially when that newcomer looks different, feels unfamiliar, or just plain unappealing. This is love and service. And I love this picture of Bill. Um, This is him at stepping stones at his writing desk. Barry writes, I'm sorry to say I don't know what happened to the man. He disappeared. Somebody else came on duty and I left. I don't know whatever happened to him. We never saw him again. I hope he made it somewhere, someplace, sometime. Thank you, Barry. Um, This is a story about Josephine, Barry, and Bill in our third tradition, but it is much more than that to me. It's about the power of growth and change, of the triumph of principles over prejudice and fear. This is the power, strength, and spirit of the LGBT recovering community. This is my tribute to Josephine M, to her spirit, her courage, and her fierce determination to be true to herself. She paid a terrible price. Finding her has been a hunt for treasure, and it's been a very personal search for me in many ways. This is an old photo of my mother's family who immigrated to the U.S. from Greece when my grandmother, Calaroy, was a young woman. I think that's her in the center back. When she developed mental illness as an adult, my grandfather abandoned his family and returned to Greece, leaving her to care for their four young children alone. When my mother was two years old, my grandmother was admitted to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C. She died there in 1922. My mother's own mental illness and trauma prevented her from telling me about our family or what had happened. Researching Josephine's experience at Norwich led me to resources for family members who were institutionalized in the U.S. between 1920 and 1970 and it has helped me start to understand and to heal. Barry ends by saying, I don't know whatever happened to him. We never saw him again. I saw a chance to give Josephine's story a new ending. As I worked, I imagined here here at Living Sober, at the countdown, at a POC meeting, at a trans meeting, getting and giving support. She's one of us, and her story needs to be told. I hope she'd say, I did a good job. And I'd like to close with one of my favorite images. This is Josephine Baker in Paris in 1948. She's surrounded by members of the Catherine Dunham Dance Company after their first performance outside the U.S. Um, Heather, can you pronounce that for me, please? (laughs) Thank you. That's the theater in Paris where they were performing. Um, Some of you may know Baker was an international star outside of the United States. Inside, we were just mired in racist laws, practices, and um, this was a reunion. This was um, Dunham's Dance Company's first performance outside the U.S. And um, Baker attended each performance every night for four nights. World War II was over. Paris liberated from the Nazi occupation a few short years before. That was in 1948. Is that right? Anyway, shortly before. It was a time to rebuild, to renew, and to heal. This is how living sober always feels to me. A reunion, a charging station, and a celebration. Thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you so much. So I think we have some time to... um, Oh my gosh, yes, we do. if you have any questions or feedback, um, if you want to share, the meeting's open. Um, that's my email if you want to write to me. Yes, Miley. Yes, well, that was fantastic. That was absolutely amazing. And I was so curious to find how on earth you could take this little tiny nugget. Uh, <laughs> That was fantastic. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that you. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I loved was, it. Thank you so much. And um, I didn't have my t- uh, pen in time. What was the website for looking back for the New York? OldNewYork.com. Old was it NYC? Yes. yes. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Jackie. question. It was Liebman actually who blanked it out. So when I saw Josephine EFM, I went, Josephine M! Of course, she was an alcoholic. Yes, but I, so I do not have her last name. Um, let me see it. Let me, can you guys hear me if yeah, I just I heard, talk yeah, like, okay. let me turn.